a reality more and more god bless you you've been welcomed already sure is good to see you sure is good to have the atmosphere that we have in the service this morning amen i just want to also mention in conjunction with malawi uh, if you mark it just as malawi uh, malawi missions that'll be fine um, also brother robert wilson uh, brother in chicago that works overseas in mission work as well and he also has a website, plays the message, the tapes continually. He's out promoting the message. And he's put together a couple of volumes called Questions and Answers. We have two volumes already in the, in the uh, library. We have a third one, and we have a number of books that were shipped to us. And they're in the back translation office. There's two boxes there, Brother Jake. But uh, Brother Harold has um, offered to make one available to every family and every household. So we're going to have those books um, out for you. And if you want to, it, basically it's questions and all answered by the message. There's no uh, other answer that he's put here, but he just references Bible references. So these books are available if you should want them. Amen. We're thankful for the gathering this morning. We're going to not keep you standing much longer, but I'll be standing longer than you, so... If just another minute or two and you'll be okay. Um, also, I just wanted to mention regarding the services, um, nice to have more capacity. Um, this next week, um, we are needing to do mechanical work on our building and roofing work. So that's starting on Tuesday. And so we're going to be without air conditioning. We're going to be without heat if we need it. But hopefully it's only air conditioning. But we do have fans. We do have doors and windows. And so we're not closing the services, we're going to leave them open. And uh, if you want to pretend like you're in Africa or Trinidad or India and come to church, and even if it's a little warmer, I looked at the weather, it's going to be mid 20 so it'll be comfortable, as comfortable as can be. So um, we're going to still have services, and uh, we're going to do our best. So that'll be this Wednesday, and it'll be next Sunday, and then likely the following Wednesday. Hopefully we're back to normal in two weeks. But we just wanted to mention that to you. With the services being at one-third, you're welcome to come every second service. And uh, so I don't know if you're happy for that. I sure am. I'm happy to see all of you. I'm happy to be in church. I'm happy for the atmosphere. Amen. Well, um, we're going to just go to prayer. I'd, I'd like to um, uh, just sing a chorus. Um, bring all your needs to the altar. Um, I want to remember our sister Lydia Wild. She was in the hospital. We mentioned that last week. She had pneumonia, had some other complications and, and some fluid buildup and such. She's home right now, but she's very, very weak. And we want to remember her as well. I had a call from Brother Jonah Emke and actually a couple people from Kelowna, but Brother John Drake is a brother that we, some of you would know. He's had brain cancer, different things. He's, he's in ICU um, with, uh, with COVID, and he's in very serious condition, so we want to remember him. 
And many of you may or may not know Brother Gary Walker. He's a brother in New Zealand that went through three life-death experiences uh, almost and, and a severe accident, and he's come out of it, but the devil's still attacking. His wife has been diagnosed with cancer. We want to remember them. Amen. As you, let's just sing, bring all your needs to the altar. If you have a need this morning, I believe God can be touched. We're not here just, just to fill in a time or space, but we're here to meet with Him. And I believe He can come right to your address, right to your door where you are this morning. Bring all your needs to the altar. softly sister Angie sister Catherine sang a song this morning entitled four days late it was late in the eyes of man but it wasn't late in the eyes of God and if you know brother Thomas and sister Catherine they have a son justice a young man he's been battling digestive problems he's been to doctors and had different tests and it's really difficult for the parents to watch this they were able to discover a condition that affects the muscles of the lower esophagus preventing food from passing in the stomach it's been a real trial for the family and it's difficult to see your children suffer but um, they're they're standing before God he's scheduled to go for treatment surgery this Tuesday and they're trusting the Lord for a total healing and our sister sang that song as a testimony. God is really never too late. So let's also remember them. They just said thank you for standing with them. It's been encouragement, and yet it's a trial. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning we sang that song, and we've made requests known. Father, we're standing here this morning, and we find ourselves also very needy of you. Lord, we may have physical ailments. Lord, they're serious, whatever they are. Brother John Drake in the hospital, Sister Lydia Wild at home, Lord. Father, the walkers in New Zealand. Lord, our sister Catherine, Brother Thomas and their family, 
and especially justice, Lord. All of these are not very far from where we live or maybe close to somebody's heart. But Lord, you remain the same. You're the high priest that is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Would you remember every one of these needs, Lord? Father, we bring them before you and then the hands that were raised here. Lord, we need you in this service. The atmosphere isn't just by clapping and making noise and singing songs. That's only a reflection of something deeper. Lord, we're living in a tremendous hour. We can point to all the negatives around us. But Lord, there's something supernatural and great that is going on. And Father, this morning we pray you'd allow us to see it in a greater measure, that we may tap into it. Bless your people that have been so faithful. And Lord, as we've been waiting on times like these, Lord, would you come, forgive us our humanity, our carnality. And Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to work through our vessels this morning. I pray you'd work through the speaker and through the hearer. We have need of you that you'd come and minister. Bless your people, we ask. We commit the service now into your hands. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you to the musicians. Thank you a little longer here, but now we're going to turn directly to the Word, to Genesis chapter 24, if you will. And then Song of Solomon, Genesis chapter 24. We'll just start reading this from the first verse. This is very familiar um, to us who've been following the message. But I would like you to think about what it was like at that time and how the events unfolded because it had a far greater uh, meaning than just history. And if you actually go, I think the people that have done the Bible code, um, when they insert names and numerology, they, um, they find that Brother Branham was identified in Genesis 24, and his name was identified. And I won't go into all of that so much today. But it doesn't, if I want you to notice this, it doesn't refer to Eliezer by name. It refers to him as the man, the servant. And I believe we need to always keep Christ before us. Amen. Let's read verse 1. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand over under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into, unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? 
And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. This is God who told Abraham, I'll be with you. There'll be a seed to follow you. And now the seed, the seed line, the lineage was being placed into a servant, into his hands to find this bride. And he says, and Abraham, beware now, in verse 7, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me and swear unto me, saying, unto thee will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath, only bring not my son thither again. God bless you. you. May have your seats. You've been standing for a while. If you're still open in Genesis 24, I'm going to ask you also just to flip uh, over the page to verse 55. This is after the events unfolded, but this is Rebecca's reaction. Her family wanted to keep her. Her family wanted to say, no, we, we've raised her. We, we don't want her to go. But God had a greater purpose. And her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days. This is verse 55. At, the, at, least, at the least 10. After that, she shall go. And he said to them, hinder me not, seeing the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to turn over the Song of Solomon. We're going to read just in verse chapter 7. Song of Solomon, chapter 7. Just read one verse there for now. We'll come back to it. Verse 10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Uh, this morning, if I can, I, I would like to speak on the secret hidden glory. And if I can, I'd like to make this a question what is the value of your beloved? What is the value of your beloved? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Everybody loves a secret. Everybody loves a mystery. And everybody wants to know what's the secret, what's the mystery. But you know what? This is something so great that God is making it known to a select few, not a group but to individuals. And I, I want to say we might be part of a group this morning, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ personally to you. And I want to say, not what the group thinks, not what the preacher says, but what is he to you? And I, I would like you this morning to think for yourself. We'll come to it more as we go in the service. What value do you place on him? So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
Paul is speaking in verse 1, I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So in other words, Paul, when he came to them, he probably didn't dress in his, maybe his finest clothes. He didn't try to make a name or a statement for himself. But he was interested in one thing. That's bringing Jesus Christ to the people. The one that he met on the road to Damascus, the one that he could not see in all his learning, but the one who came to him and changed his old outlook, he said, that's the one I desire for you to know. And we read this on Wednesday, but Brother Branham would say, I've not come to start a movement, I've not come to start this, but I'm interested in one thing, and that's to further the relationship of the individual with Jesus Christ. That would be my goal this morning. I'm not here with my own agenda. We, there's too many personal agendas amongst things, but the goal and the desire is to further a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Paul says in verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So this morning we don't rely on how well the minister can explain something. You know, it's, it's, it's like... Somebody would, would say, Brother Branham was not trying to explain the seven seals when he ministered, but he was trying to open a channel that we could, we could come into. You know, they would ask always, and they, this is in the church age book, and you'd say, what is the messenger of Malachi for? Well, he's to turn the hearts of the children. And, and yet, Brother Branham would go a little further, and we've been speaking on the prophet and the need for the prophet and the reason that we all focus on a prophet, but he would go and say, now, and, and we're moving this further every service, the messenger of Malachi 4 and Revelations 10.7 is going to do two things. According to Malachi 4, he'll turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. Number two, he will reveal the mysteries of the seven thunders in Revelations 10, which are the revelations contained in the seven seals. And then he links the two together with this statement. It will be these divinely revealed mystery truths that will literally turn the hearts of the children to the Pentecostal fathers. Exactly so. All right, so as we read here in verse 7 yet, but, uh, sorry, in verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God has ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for they had they known it, they would not have crucified the king of glory. Now, Brother Branham would, would, would speak, before he even spoke the seals, he would speak a message, God in simplicity. And he says, God is so great, that, but yet in his greatness, he can humble himself. You know, he's, he's greater than the devil in this one respect. The devil can't humble himself. The devil can't submit himself. But God is 
the very God of heaven subjected himself not only to the blessings of the creation that he done, but he submitted him to the penalty of the, of the, of, of, of the judgment of sin on our behalf. And he humbled himself and he became a man for who? For our benefit. So Brother Bannon would say this, and he would, this is in, in, in the seals, he'd say, what makes God so great is he can make himself in such a simple form that the wise of the world can't find him. He makes himself too simple. There, he said, this in itself is a mystery of the revelation of Jesus Christ. In our minds, we're looking for something higher. When, when I came into the message and I thought, oh, and I, I caught the seven church ages, and oh, wow, that's tremendous. The seals will be on a higher level. I, I just skipped right over God in simplicity. And now I go back to it and say, oh, God, help me to be humble and simple, for I know nothing as I ought to know except you make it real to me. So we're not looking on a man to explain, but we're looking that God can make himself real. And it's revelation. Now let's, let's just keep reading here. Now just get into this part. As it is written, verse 9, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So in one hand, Paul's saying, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered in the heart of man the thing. So we often put that, oh, when we get on the other side, when we get over there, won't that be glorious then? And, 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 and all the things, and oh, our eyes will be open. But really, there's a part of it that's happening right now. And it's a mystery to the world. It's a mystery to the neighbors. You know, what are these people doing coming to church three times a week? You know, they, they come in on, on, on a Wednesday and on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night. Like, seriously? Like, what's going on in there? And they come out, and they're happy, and, and, they're, and then they're this, and, and there's something about them. There's something happening here. It's not just that you can look and figure it out, but it's greater than that. It's happening supernaturally even this morning. So it says, God has revealed them to us. For what man knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man that is in him? Even so the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now, to stay on, on course, I'll be brief. I won't reference all the scriptures here. In the book of Exodus, when, when Moses took the children of Israel out, and then he told them to build a tabernacle, he told them to bring all these materials, and he said, let everybody give an offering willingly, and, and, and at the end, with the goal, he said, that they may make me a sanctuary. Now, it wasn't God's intent just to dwell in badger skins and behind that, but he was identifying, and, and it wasn't just that building that he was wanting to. That wasn't the fulfillment. He wanted to dwell with man. Man. 
He wanted to dwell in simplicity. He wanted to dwell amongst us today. We who don't look like very much on the outside. And if you think you're much, you're not really that much. And none of us are. But it's, and we might sometimes have complexes about our peculiarities and about how we are and our failings and all of these things. Yet God chose that he wanted fellowship with something that was in us. So in Exodus, it was the goal, let them make me a sanctuary. Then, you know, he would, he would take them out and he would give them the Ten Commandments and he's saying, these are the commandments and really the five first commandments are our duty to God. The second five are our duty to man. But it was with the thought and, and it was almost unbelievable that Jehovah said, that they may love me. He wanted people to love him. Because of the great love that he expressed to us. I need, I need you to really tap into the mind of God this morning. He, by his love, by, by what he set forth, it was he that loved us. It was he that desired more for us. And he desires more for us today. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, we'll, we'll read this. But here, you know, there was two covenants. The first covenant in the Garden of Eden was God told man, you do this and I'll do this. But man couldn't keep that. So God initiated a grace covenant starting with Abraham. But Paul would identify this here and he talks about the law. He says in verse 7, if the first covenant had been faultless, there should be no place that he should have found a second. And finding fault with him, he said, the days come that the Lord said, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by their hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. So this is under the law. He says, verse 10, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws into their heart and into their mind, and I will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest, and I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities, I remember no more. That, that's where we sit today. We're not sitting under a law of do's and don'ts. I, there, there's been a change in dispensation. We went from a man anointing into an eagle anointing. We can't look at the message through the eyes of man. If you look at it through the eyes of man, to some people, the message will be, it will be just that, do's and don'ts, what I can do and how I can do this and, and what I can achieve. You'll never tap into it fully until you see what God is doing for you, what his desire is for you, and if you can yield to that and say, yes, I'll follow that. Now Paul would go a little further in Hebrews 9. Let's just drop over a page to verse 6. And he said, Now these things were ordained, that the priests would go into the first tabernacle according to the service of God, but into the second 
went the high priest alone once every year, but not without blood, which he offered for himself for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest, uh, the way into the holiest was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. Now I, I, I want to relate that just to now. Brother Branham would say there was the age of the reformers, but it would take a restoration to bring us back. The, the denominational age could only exist so long. That doesn't mean there's still denominations, but that's not the level God is dealing on anymore. And Brother Branham, he would make some statements about it. I, I really want to stay the course here this morning. But he would make statements regarding, you know, it was in 1964, he preached a message, the masterpiece. And when he preached the masterpiece, he would talk about a vision that he'd seen, and it was the preview of the bride. And he saw the bride coming out of every kindred, every nation, and everything. And the bride, and she was marching to something like onward Christian soldiers. And he saw the church come into view. And she was led by a woman that was not dressed, and a woman that was marching to the, to the beat of, of rock and roll music. And she was scandalously dressed, and, and, and he was doing all of these things. And he said, oh God, is that the best that we can do? And he saw the bride coming into view again. Now, he, God is drawing his attention. There's a difference between the bride and there's a difference between the church. You can come here this morning with a church mentality or you can come with a bride mentality. And, and it's good to come into the church. But there's something higher that God is wanting to do. It is more than just paying your offerings and your tithes. It is more than showing up on time. But it's coming here to serve God and to bring unto Him an acceptable sacrifice. Now let me just jump back to Malachi chapter 1. This is where we'd finished on Wednesday. And it was sort of the jumping off point to where I was going to today. But in Malachi chapter 1, and Malachi was the last book in the Bible at that time. And it was Malachi was the last prophet of the Old Testament, lived in the time when Israel was being restored. And we were talking about this. In verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I be your father, where is my honor? And if I be your master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts? O ye priests that despise my name. And he say, wherein have we despised your name? You offer polluted bread on the altar. Wherein have we polluted you? And you say that the table of the Lord is contemptible. And you say it's contemptible. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be contemptible. And you say, you offer the blind for a sacrifice. Now, the sacrifice was provided by God. The way or the means was provided under the law, and it was a lamb that was the sacrifice. But it took an element on the part of the believer or to present it correctly. So it wasn't just fitting in uh, and, and pulling any old lamb from your flock. In fact, you couldn't bring the diseased. You couldn't bring the blind. You couldn't bring a lamb that had blemish. And it was all a type of Christ who was going to be the lamb without blemish. So they would take that lamb and they would bring it to the priest and the priest would examine it. And, 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 and as it became a tradition over time, they would accept the blind. They would accept the pressure was there. Well, I make good offerings. I'm a good church member. I'm this. Okay, we'll just take it. 
No, but there was something greater God was desiring. It was the attitude and how you brought your sacrifice to him and the gratefulness with where you brought it. And it reflects right to us today. Are we really thankful for the way that God has provided? Does it reflect in our attitude and how we come and how we approach him on a day-to-day basis? So he would say this in verse 8, And you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Now he, he, he brings it right to home. He said, you're going to go and see the governor. Okay? How do you act when you see the governor, a ruler in the country? He says, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept your person? Or would you have a difference in somebody you can see who would give you some gain? Versus me. I'm your father. I'm Jehovah. I provided a way for you. And he says, and I pray you, beseech you, will he be gracious unto us? Will he regard, will he, this hath been by your means, will he regard your persons? Saith the Lord of hosts. So this, this really puts it back on us and all of us at this point. We've been given this and, and sometimes we, we just, maybe we become casual with it. But I, I, I feel like more than just showing up and doing our service, and God is desiring a relationship. And, and I'm talking, what's, what value do you place on that? And, and, and it's, you, people can come and you can, you can what value do you place on, place on prayer life? We'll, we'll move a little further here. Now, it also goes on, we didn't carry this part, who is there among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on my altar for naught. I have no pleasure on you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering from your hand. Now there's a prophetic part that starts to come out here. For from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, a pure offering, and my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. So there's coming a time when God will bring that back in amongst the Gentiles. Okay, turn with me to Jeremiah 29. I'll, I'm going to just take some scriptures quickly, and then I'll get to the real heart of where we want to go. Jeremiah 29. This, this, to me, is a scripture we all look to, but I, I was tempted to sing this morning. We we're running out of time, but sing the little chorus that we sing with the Sunday school children, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. Why? How do I know the Bible tells me so? Sometimes we need to remember God is for us. He's not against us. You know, and, and I believe that if, if we would recognize that God is for us, you know, it was, it was John Wesley that would make a, st- a statement, and, and, and he, he actually, he, he would, uh, I, sometimes, you know, I, I don't often repeat others, but John Wesley was a messenger to the age, and, and he made a statement, and he said, talking about serving the Lord, he said, unless God has raised you up for this thing, you will worn out, be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. If you're not built for this, you're going to be worn out somewhere. And he says, but if God be with you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger in God? And he says, be not weary in well-doing. I thought, man, Wesley must have gone through a few things. He must have met some opposition. 
He must have met some challenges. He must have met some demons along the way. He, t- he talks about people or men and, 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 and devils. And the two can work together sometimes. But we all meet opposition, but let's not be weary in well-doing. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Thus saith the Lord, after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. I'll perform my good word to you in causing you to return to this place. For I know, no, I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. So now now just capture this. Here's his thoughts. And because he has these thoughts, he can predestinate. He can say, uh, there, there was an Eve that fell, but there's going to come an Eve that will not fall. And he says, for I know these thoughts, verse 12, then shall you call on me. So Eleazar was the messenger uh, sent by Abraham to find a son, to find, to find a bride for his son. But it Right from the beginning, what if the woman won't go? And, and, and God says, if the woman won't go, you're free from this oath. And so at the end, she said, I will go. Here Jeremiah is saying, after these thoughts are given to you, then shall you call on me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. So it's not God pushing a man through a pipe, but when he makes himself known to you, you know, God comes to us in such simple ways. John Wesley, the messenger to an age, he dealt with a people called the Moravian people, and he traveled across to North America, and and as yet he was stuck in the system of the age But while he was there and he met them, something began to work on his heart. And John Wesley refers to his conversion, my heart was strangely warmed. Now, we we come to this message and say, okay, uh, yeah, there's a great God out there. He's, you know, I'm sure glad to be in the church. Maybe I'll scrape in. No, he comes to you individually. He's a personal God. He says, after you return, when you capture this, something happens. You shall call on me, and I'll go and and you shall go and, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn from your captivity, and I'll gather you from all the nations and from all the places whether I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again unto the place whether I caused you to be carried away captive. So this is God's desire. Now, I, I, I want to use this. Where are we at? I need to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a couple of chapter uh, scriptures there, Brother Dan, just so I can, can, can do this. Brother Branham would talk about Ephesians, and he'd say, he has chosen us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, predestinating us to the adoption of children. 
He said, Jesus Christ is choosing his own bride just the same as men choose their brides today. The bride does not simply decide she is going to take a certain man for husband. No, sir, it is the groom who decides and chooses a certain woman. John 15, 16, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you. Romans 9, 11, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Now he says the heart purpose, the eternal purpose of God was to take a bride of his own choosing. That purpose was in himself and eternal before the foundation of the world. He actually goes a step further and says, before there was ever a speck of stardust, before God was God, and he was an object of adoration, there was nobody to worship him, he was at that time potentially only God. He was the eternal spirit. He says, before all of that happened, the bride was already in his mind. Yes, she was. She was existing in his thoughts. What about the thoughts of God? They are eternal, aren't they? Now, I, I, I want to put it back on us for a moment. Maybe you were young. I, I was young and I grew up and I, I always kind of thought, it's kind of strange, I was born in this house when I looked at all the other school kids you know, they had televisions, they did different things, and I thought, it's kind of strange, I, I wish I was born in a different house, naturally speaking, is what I thought. And, and I thought, well, I'm here, you know, I always wanted to be something else. And, and yet, at the same point, there was another part of me, no matter how much I tried to fit in, it didn't fit. And, and, and I... I couldn't do it. And Brother Branham now, he would say, in God, rich in mercy. Now, the bride exists, but I want to put it to the individual. He had you in his thinking. Some part of you had to be with God back there. Before he even became material, you were one of his attributes. He knew the color of your hair. He knew all about you. He knew your personality, the way you would walk and how you talk and your nature. And so, Brother Adam, and we look at it, view out there, but now he brings it right here. He says, many of you can fellowship with me on this thought. You were a little boy, a little girl. You would walk around and there would be certain things. It wouldn't bother the other kids, but there was something in you that cried out. I just want a real friend. And he said, you were a sinner, and there was a God somewhere. Do you remember that? That was that little form of life in you then. The deep calling to the deep. He says in, in a message, Perfection, there were some that were foreknown before God. Their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. If they shout, it's all right. If they don't, it's all right. Whatever they do, God already said so. It's not him that willeth or runneth. It's God that shows mercy. So it's God's choice. It's not our choice. And, and when God makes a choice, it's the best choice. And, 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 if, and if God would pick a certain one, and, and Samuel would, would tell them all, he was a prophet, and he says, 
They, they, Israelite, they wanted a king like the other nation. He says, but God is your king. Why can't you be content with that? And they couldn't be content with that. And, and he says, oh, take God's choice. But they took Saul. And yet God said, okay, if that's the way it's going to be. Now God was condescending to the form of man. Okay. In, in Rising of the Sun, Brother Branham made a statement. There have been churches, churches. Brides, brides, churches, brides, brides. But there's got to come one. There's got to come a real bride. So God is always ascending. God is always moving higher. There must come one that's not only got the mechanics, but the dynamics of him. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just go for a moment, and I'm, I'm going to refer back to Rebecca. And in this whole call of God, she didn't know that God had promised to Abraham, that God had picked him by grace and had told him you would have a seed and, and I will bless your seed and I will do all of these things. And, 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 and he'd, you know, Abraham would have a son named Isaac and that would be part of, of the lineage. And she didn't know all of that. She didn't even know about the conversation with Eliezer. She didn't even know that, that Abraham, you know, he... He, he saw the other nations. He said, I don't want any bride. I want a certain kind of bride. Now, I, I'm, I'm using this as a type because even Brother Branham, and we all say he was a messenger of Malachi 4, but he was more than that. He was the messenger of the covenant. He was exactly what John was before the first coming. He was going to be exactly what was now before the second coming. And, and John, before the first coming, was to introduce the bridegroom. And that's the terminology that John used. And I'm the friend of the bridegroom. And so when you say there's a bridegroom, you know, you don't, you know, you, you don't talk about somebody as being a bridegroom if there isn't a bride somewhere. So John was identifying uh, the Messiah as the bridegroom. And he said, I'm just the friend. I'm not the one that you're, the bride's getting married to. And I'm afraid sometimes that too many people are too wrapped up with the friend of the bridegroom again in this age. The Eleazar, listen, Rebecca never married Eleazar. She needed to keep her eyes on the message of Eleazar and to see who she was going to marry. I... May God give us grace. The enemy would try to twist us. And I say this, the messenger, as we honor and reverence the messenger, that is our lifeline. But he's not the one that we're going to meet first on the other side. We, well, we'll see him, sorry. We'll see him. But he's not the main attraction. The main attraction is going to be Jesus Christ. And when we go there, we're going to the marriage supper. We are not getting married there. We're getting married here. So we need to see our bridegroom here, not over there. We need to see him in the message, in the pages of the Bible. We need to enter into a relationship. We need to have a walk with him, though the world can't see it. But I'm a part of it. 
So Rebecca never saw, never heard the conversation. She never knew. But yet she was of Abraham's lineage, a natural lineage. You know, far away, she was coming to the well many, many times. And I, I'm using this because we need to see ourselves also. And, and I say this because even Brother Branham, as it became apparent, he had a gift and it had different things in his life and a message, and he was the messenger to us. There was another part of it that he couldn't understand about his life, and he was walking in the unfolding too. And he came down to 1965, and he had a dream about a public service company, and he's speaking this in the message, Ashamed. And he's saying, Lord, I don't understand all of these things. Show me a character in the Bible that you would have me to identify what I'm, what's working out in my life. And he opens the Bible to Genesis 24. And he sees Eleazar. Now, he hadn't seen this in a fullness before. But he moved into this part of the pages because the messenger of Malachi 4 was on a higher order. And it was ascending. So now he was not just a prophet, not just a gift of prophecy. He was not a minor prophet. He was a dispensational prophet. But he was also a messenger to search out a bride for the bridegroom. And so he moved. And when he saw that, he goes, Oh, certainly. That's it. That's my message. To find a bride. Oh, God, let me be that. And if you, you go back and listen to it, and at the end of the message, as he's praying, he says, Oh, God, I'll be faithful to your call. And let that bride be faithful to this message. So it, Rebecca had no knowledge of... of the conversation that had occurred just a few days before when Abraham and Eliezer were speaking. And then when Eliezer, when, when Abraham prophesied, it's not just on you, but I'm going to pray that the God of heaven will send his angel before you. And you all know the story. You know the part where Brother Branham would talk and he, he would say how the angel of the Lord got there about half an hour before Eliezer did to the well that day. So in other words, this was not just another trip to the well that day. This was something on another level that day. And you may have walked to a lot of different places, but I want you to think, when did God actually speak to me? When did he begin to make himself real to me? And you might, might have been raised in a message, maybe you were out in the world, maybe you met a man, maybe you met a, a woman, but somewhere something became real. The God of heaven was searching you. He was looking for you. He was desiring you. He was wanting you. And he wasn't going to just leave it into the hands of a man, Eliezer, but he was going to send a supernatural element that would touch your life and your heart, and you would know this was not just another trip to the well. 
She may have come to the well thousands of times. But this day when she came to the well, it was going to be different. And it was unknown to her what Eliezer prayed when he came to the well. And he says, let the woman that I asked to draw water for my camels, let her be the one. She just stepped into the plan of God. She went and she had, listen, Brother Bannon would talk about it this way when he talks about it. Abraham was looking, or the father was looking for character. And he says the character wasn't just reflected in a natural lineage, but it was within that woman. There was a character within Rebecca. There was a character within Ruth. There was a character within Esther. And that character reflected in their attitude to that which God sent across their path. There have been brides, brides, brides. But there must come a bride. She also reverences. She also respects. There's... Brother Branham would talk about Satan in these last days. He would exalt himself and try to be above the Most High. He succeeded in carrying out his threats. He's had marvelous success in carrying out his threats by letting the people explain away in every age the value of God's promised word. If you could recognize this is not just a call to show up at church. This is a call, Lord, this morning that I can fellowship with you. That you can, I can be that sanctuary. And it's not just that I punch in on a Sunday and I punch out on a, uh, on a Monday morning, but this is a call into a relationship. So Rebecca, she didn't know these things, but her character exemplified itself when this man that was standing there and said, bring water for my camels, and, and we won't have time to go into it. But that meant, may have meant many, many trips to get water for a camel. So it was, the camel was here drinking. She just poured from her water pot. She comes, and it was empty. Because they come on a journey. she go back again. she go back again. But what she didn't know, she was doing it, maybe somewhere along the way she began to grumble. I showed up at church so many times. But here I am again, and, and i got to do it again. i got to do it again. But what she didn't know, what she was watering, was the very power that was going to take her home. She didn't know when she was plugging into a service, when she was contributing with prayer, with worship, with atmosphere, it was actually going to be the very power that was going to lift her up. Let it be again that when we come, we are contributing. That we're not just looking, oh, what can I get out of this? Well, that's Brother Ed. That's just the way he is. No, this, I try to get as out of the way as I can. I can't help it. I'm full of faults and failures. The fivefold ministry, as I said Wednesday, is not infallible. We're full of mistakes. But the word that we're trying to represent is infallible. And it's still God's order. I need to hear it ministered as much as anybody. 
When finally she finished and Eliezer tells her what she's done and he shows her these gifts laden all kinds of costly things. He brings jewels of silver, of gold, and he gave to her brother and to her mother. I'll tell you what, if you're courting a girl, it, it's good to be nice to the family. <laughs> and they ate and they drank, and it would be easy to be wrapped up. Wow, this is great. This guy came by. Look at what's in it for us. Hey, what'd you get? And you, you know, it's like we used to go to Calgary to minister, and there was a family in Calgary. When we'd stay at the motel room, they'd leave a little gift bag. And our kids were young. They'd say, Brother Ed, we thank you for coming to minister this weekend. And they'd leave a little gift bag. And our kids said, you know, what did the Lord bring us today? <laughs> and it was sometimes little men with parachutes. Sometimes it was little games and sometimes little snacks and a bag of chips. And one time they forgot. And I said, didn't the Lord know we were coming? <laughs> yeah, he knew. <laughs> but the main thing is not the gifts. The main thing is the message that would bring us to our bridegroom. And so she, they said, now, when all was peeled back and, you know, the family was there and everything, will you go with this man? Rebecca stood up. I will go. The question is, when Ruth was confronted with the question, I will go with you wherever you go. Your God will be my God. And that was her decision. This was Rebecca's decision. Now, there's another part to this story. I felt like I should have the brothers come and sing it. But it, it's the journey. It's the camel train. It's, it's as you're, you're going. Now it's many days back to, to meet Isaac. And now it's Rebecca alone. And all she has is the words of Eliezer. Eliezer, what's Isaac look like? Oh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's fair. He's got golden locks. He's got this. And, and, and you know, what, what about him? Like, what's his? And, oh, and, and, and you know, so we, we bring that up to date because our Eliezer has also been whispering. And he says, What's our bridegroom look like? Oh, he's, he's ever-present water from the rock. <laughs> oh, the song that the Yance brothers sang, you know, that's, I should have the quartet just come and sing it right now. Eliezer, tell me more. And as she was, now just, I want you to catch just the simplicity of this. She didn't see him with her eyes. All she heard was the words of a servant telling her about the bridegroom. And as she's hearing these words on the journey, you know, the Bible would tell us that she's hearing, but I can't imagine she's falling in love and she's beginning to understand and she's beginning to know, oh, there's something. I can't wait to see him. You know, she wasn't enamored with Eliezer. She was falling in love with Isaac before she ever met him. And how great was her revelation? Her revelation was so great that the scripture says when she came and she saw Isaac walking in the field, she jumped down. She jumped to meet him. 
she went to meet him in the field. It was something in her that had been planted by Eliezer. Oh, I shall know him. I shall see him. I shall know it's him. Nobody knew what happened on that camel train. Nobody knew what God was doing for that woman, that bride back then. Sometimes there's people that come to church and some are going, I don't know what's going on here. Why is that person's soul raising their hands? And why are they so in love? Because something's happening. There's a whispering going on. There's something that's happening. I'm not just hearing that I'm being called a buzzard. Sometimes we preach it. I think sometimes maybe we're guilty. We preach it like we try to reform everybody. No, it's to plant something in your heart that you can respond back to him. It's the call of the bridegroom. Now, I, I really would like to go beyond my... Let me, read, let me read something here what Brother Branham would speak of when he talks about this whole call because... I, I think, as I said, Brother Branham came into a re- recognition because he'd seen the preview of the bride and he was blaming himself for the condition of the church. But when he recognized this was different, he wasn't called to reform the church. He was called to bring out a bride. And then it changed his attitude. And I think if we can recognize, I'm not here just to protest what the government's doing. But somewhere, something's got to reflect. If your web page is only, or your social media site is only against what this government's doing, what this law is, is that what's in your heart about this whole thing? Or he's more precious to me than gold. If your conversation is only about, sometimes we, we, we can be religious, and it's all about church and this minister and that, but we miss a walk with him, a talk with him. Now, I really had Ruth written down here, Ruth deciding, serving. I won't turn to the scriptures, I had them written down, but... Once Ruth decided, she then came back to the land. She found herself in the field of Boaz. Boaz was a great man she was come to know. And she was just a gleaner, just a servant. And Boaz took favor of her. Now, if you want to take this to the message, you'll find Boaz mentioned 63 times in the message. 57 of those are before the seals, pointing to something. After the seals, it's only mentioned in the seals a couple times, and after, it's not pointing to something. Why? It's a part of our walk now. Because Ruth went from gleaner and servant to chapter 3, where Naomi tells her to go. Now, in secret, nobody saw this. She saw a part of Boaz 
Everybody saw the Lord of the harvest, the man on the horse. He's riding out here. He's taking care of the fields. He's a rich man. He's an older man. He's done this and this. But she saw another side when she went to lay at his feet. And there was nobody else there. It was just Ruth and Boaz. And, she said, and he says, who are you? I am your handmaiden. Now she didn't say, I'm your gleaner. I'm your handmaiden. She saw that she was brought into something. She recognized this was not an accident that I came in at the time of harvest, but I came in at a certain time. I, I wanted to take Esther, and we can read of Esther, but I, I think I'm going to come back to that as we've been dealing on the time of the restoration. I want to come back to that. I'm going to ask you to turn to the Song of Solomon and go to chapter 1. Now, the Song of Solomon is a slightly different book than the book of Leviticus. <laughs> it's not about do this and do this and sacrifice this and do this. It's a poetic book. And it's, but it's there, and, and it tells a certain story. So in, in, I, I want you to just pick up on something here with me, if you can, for just a little bit this morning. Are, are, you, are, you, are you good yet this morning? So in, in Song of Solomon chapter 1, the Song of Psalms, which is Solomon. Solomon wrote over a thousand songs. He also had over a thousand wives. But this is now, there have been brides, 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 but this is about one. The Shulamite. Now let's just take this for a moment. The Song of Psalms, which is Solomon's, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is an ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love me. Now, this is, this is the bride and bridegroom speaking, and, and now here she is speaking. She's saying, draw me. We will run after thee, after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Now let's just stop there for a minute. So as the call would go out and Solomon would see a woman that he desired, he would tell his servants, he'd say, bring this woman, she'll be part of my harem. And it was a great honor. And the woman could say, the king has called me. But she was still just one of a thousand. And there was this thing like maybe, you know, I might see him one or two nights, maybe every couple of years. But I'm going to be, and there's an honor associated. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in Solomon's house, but it wasn't very personal. And, and it was something in her that she would just say, he's drawn me, we'll be glad and rejoice. I'm happy, my family's happy maybe, this and this. And, and, and there was an outward part of this. And we come to the message and we say, oh, am I ever glad I'm in this end time move? Am I ever glad I'm there? But it cannot even be personal. Now, she also had some insecurities. Verse 5. I am black but comely, O daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun has looked upon me, my children's, 
Uh, my, my mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. In other words, she'd been out in the sun too long. She'd been burnt. She'd been black. She'd, her, her heritage. Anyway, it was all viewed unfavorably. And then she says, now they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard have I not kept. Now she refers to something that's kind of interesting. She talks about she's there, but she recounts another longing. That was in her heart. Tell me, O thou whom my soul lovest, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon, for why should I be as one that turns aside by the flocks of thy companions? If thou know not, O thou fairest of women, go, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed the kids by the shepherd's tents. Now, she's not talking about the chambers of Solomon now, but she's recalling something that's in the vineyards and in the fields and in the quiet place. She's recounting something that was made real to her. And yet here she's brought into the courts of Solomon and she's got these insecurities and she's, she doesn't see herself I don't know what the king could see in me. In verse 14, she would speak further of her beloved. My beloved is unto me as a cluster of campfire in the vineyards of Engedi. I don't have the time to go into all these types, but behold, thou art fair, my love, thou art fair, thou hast dove's eyes. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved, yea, pleasant also are Bed is green. The beams of our house are cedar, our rafters of fir. She's recounting something else. It's almost a strange language when you look at all of this. You know, it, it goes on further into chapter 2. I didn't give you this, Brother Dan, but go to chapter 2, verse 8. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping on the mountains skipping on the hills. She's not capturing these images from the king's palace. She's capturing them from somewhere else. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He looks forth at the windows. He shows himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. When God called me, and I'm just saying, this is my personal part, I grew up in a message home, I went into the ways of the world, I didn't feel I, when God started dealing with me, I was working up in Vancouver Island in the far north, I would have work four days and I was by the ocean, I had four days off and I would go by the ocean and I'd sit there and look at creation and something spoke to me and I'd think about and I remember one time I was out, I'd hiked out to an isolated beach and I was running, I was the only one there and I was running and there was these birds and the waves were crashing and the sun was there and, and in the middle of all of it, I not even had anything of religion, but in the middle of all of it, I just stopped and looked, I said, oh God, how great you are. And then something said, what did I just say? But it was there. It wasn't in a church. Now, I'm not saying it isn't that way, but somewhere, God's got to make himself real to you. Somewhere there's something. And 
I would go often, and I still love it, to the mountains. I'd go hiking. I'd, I'd, I'd even go alone and just take a tape, or I'd fast, or I'd pray, and oh, I just desire God. And I think sometimes we get so busy, and I say, Lord, do you still mean all those things to me? This Shulamite is talking in similar language. Chapter 3. She's, By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. She's been brought to the king's chambers. I will rise now. I'll go about the city and the streets. In the broadways I'll seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. She sees a watchman in the city. Verse 4, I was but a little when I passed from them. I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him. I would not let him go. I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. I charge you. Now she's, she's in a company of all these other women. She says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir up nor awake my love till he please. Now, she's got something that the others don't have. There's something burning in her. Now, you say, Brother Ed, why, where are you going with all of this? Let me, let me read something that Brother Branham would speak in the message, Future Home. And he would talk a little bit, and it's a statement that I, I've pondered for a long time. And, and he, would, he would, if I can just find it here now. So in Future Home, Brother Branham is talking and, and he's, he's sharing a little bit on, on uh, his, his, di his different things, the future home, something like that. And as he, he goes to it, he, he talks and he, and he uses, uses it this way. Oh my, now I'm not finding it. Here it is. Okay. So he talks about it and he says, it makes this statement, and it always stuck with me. I wish I had time to talk about it. Solomon quoting this girl, the bride. I may have to admit it, it's getting late. I, I wish he wouldn't have omitted it. <laughs> now he says, Solomon, when he tries to get her, she's already engaged to a shepherd boy. Now, now and I thought... Some probably thought that was just a song he sang. Oh, no. He said, Solomon was the throne inherit of David on earth, but he showed that kingdom had to pass away. He was a type of Christ in love with the bride. Now, he says, Solomon, he was a type of Christ in love with the bride. So now I'm, I, I've had this picture in my mind for a long time, and I thought, okay, Here's Solomon. He brings her into his court. Here's this shepherd boy that she's engaged to. But this is an odd threesome. How does this type Christ? It's, it's three. Like it's competition. It's the shepherd against the king. It's, it's, it's her this way. It's her that way. And then, and, then, and then I come to this here in chapter 4. And... 
this is really, if you take this whole chapter, it's almost like it's the consummation of she's been brought into the court, she's been brought into this, she comes in and he says to her, the bridegroom, thou art fair, my love, thou art fair, thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks, thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Now, he's starting to talk the language of the country that she knew. And he's saying, your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Now, I don't know if this must have been awfully white sheep. (laughs) But the language, he's using similes that are not of his kingdom now, but they're the place where she fell in love. He's starting to use these, these similes, and he's saying, you know, and, and he's, he's talking about all of these. I, I won't get into the language. It gets quite graphic, and if you don't have the Holy Ghost, when you read this, you can get quite, quite graphic. But he, he talks about all of this. Now he says, verse 6, Until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get thee to the mountains of myrrh. Now it's almost the same language she used in chapter 1. So it struck me, they knew each other. And now it's the bridegroom that's saying this. He's saying, thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in me. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. And, and he says, you, verse 9, you've ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. My spouse. How fair is your love, verse 10, How much better the love than thy wine. And and he's talking all of this. And and it's almost struck me. It's now he's revealing himself to her. I am the shepherd that you fell in love with. Because just like Moses, Moses, listen, Brother Adam said, I never understood this chapter. He says, how could Moses tell God a better thing to do? How could he do that? But he said it wasn't Moses, it was Christ in Moses. Could you imagine if you're a woman and you're called to this, this king's feast and you're just another number? What number are you? Well, I'm, I'm number 899. Oh, okay, I'm number 901. What kind of a relationship is that? But that's not the way God has called us. He's called us individually. By name, he's called us. You're not just part of a church. You're not just trying to fit in. But he came to you somewhere in your life. Brother Dale, he came to you. Sister Rachel, he came to you. Brother Danny came to you. Sister Terry, he came to you. You didn't know that was the king of glory. You didn't know that the word burning in your heart was something. But it was the king of glory as Christ, as the shepherd, as the one that was interceding, making himself known. How would you, Brother Branham, talk about God being so great we couldn't even begin to fathom him? You know, we have so many complexes. Brother Branham would talk about it and he would say, Christ, the mystery of God revealed about Luke 24. Here's the disciples walking. And he says, 
They were walking. Now, God could have sat back like this and said, I just died for them. When are they going to get it through their thick skulls? But what did he do? He condescended. He stepped back with them in another form, and he began to walk with them. And he began to talk with them. And as he talked with them, something was happening. They couldn't see who this was. They couldn't see this, who this was all along. But he did the same thing. As he was talking out of the prophets and out of the Psalms, their hearts began to burn. And then, and then he was again, like Rebecca, waiting. Listen, he didn't say, Eliezer didn't tell Rebecca, come with me. No, he says, will you go with this man? She said, I'll go. And when the disciples, Jesus made as though he would have gone further, and they constrained him, no, come in. I want to make myself known. He was waiting for them to say that. But it had to come from within. And it has to come from within. He wants to come every service. But can you call him on the scene? Come, Lord. Don't let me just look at my watch and say, when do we dismiss? When are the songs over? But, Lord, let me have a fellowship with you. Let me have a relationship with you. And when they came in, and he broke bread, and then they knew, I've seen this before. I, my eyes can't see it, but this happened before. Friends, when God breaks the bread of life to you, it could be something you heard on a tape, but it could be when you're in fellowship with someone. It could be when you're at a service. It, it, it may be not what the same vessel, but it's the same Son of Man. It's the same God. So now, if you really look at chapter 4 as the consummation, because he says, I, I, uh, I am coming to my garden. This is the bridegroom talking. I, I don't have time to go into it all. But let's go to chapter 5 for a minute. Verse 6. Now she's seeing something. Now she's got a testimony to tell. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he found me. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took, me, took away my veil from me. So there's something sacred about God and his bride that no man has a part of. No watchman. That veil is there for him. Now she says in verse 8, she's expressing a desire. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if I find me my beloved, that you tell me, you tell him, because I'm sick of love. And they, they're still one of a number. What number are you? I'm number 901. But she's no longer 901. She is the one who he sought after in particular. She is the one that he looked for. And now she answers with this testimony. Because they, they actually speak to her and they say, this beloved that you're so sick of love. He says, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? He said, oh, thou fairest of among women. 
What is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost charge us? Oh, now she says, you want to know? He sought me while I was down in there. It's, it, it, it was the king of glory that did that, who revealed himself to me in a little place, in a little church, and he was making himself known to me. And as I went along the way, and then one day I saw it's him, it's the king, it's him, oh, but he drew me, he brought me to himself. Oh, verse 10, my beloved is white and ruddy. He's the chiefest among 10,000. She was seeing the, something the others could not see. How many remembers in the seals, Brother Brandon would take questions and answers? And he's just lingering and he's lingering. And then he tells a story about a little woman who was a servant and was working on a ranch. And the, the boss had sent his son to go and look for a bride. And all the women had a great dance and a great big feast and a great big place. And they're all there with their fineries presenting them. You know, and Brother Bram says he called them denominational cousins. But he was looking for character. I've seen you. And then, so this dance was going on. This little woman was washing dishes. And all of a sudden, she became aware that there's a presence. There's a man there. And she says, and she says, oh, it's him. And then he says, I've been watching you. And you've got something the others don't have. Now, this is in secret. Nobody knew what happened. Vows like Boaz and Ruth, like the Shulamite and Solomon, who was really the shepherd. And looking at all of this, and it was something that she had as a secret, and she began preparing. And Brother Ram tells the story, I'll come back, he said, in one year for you. And she went about, she started to make everything ready. During that time, she was mocked. Why is it that you're worshiping in services like nobody else? He, he wouldn't. He's the boss's son. What would he do with you? Oh, don't tell me that that enemy doesn't come to us sometimes. And sometimes even, it's sad to say, but even in our own midst, somebody wants a closer walk with God, and you're looked at and say, oh, what do you th who do you think you are? Yeah, Sometimes. But I say this, I, I, I just desire that this would be more sacred to us, that this would be the call of the king from glory. If you read her voice and her attitude and, and how she comes down to it and, and, uh, and all of this, like chapter 8, verse 12, she says, my vineyard, which is nine, mine is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand. And those that kept the fruit were there 200. But she would talk, there's, there's this picture everybody else sees, but there's another picture that I have, that he made himself known to me. Listen, we'll, we're going to stop there. We'll keep you out on time. Musicians can come. I want you to think for a moment, where did he come to you? Where did he meet you? Sister Beth Dingwall tells her testimony. It was a young sister, eight years old, in our church was given a sentence that she wouldn't live just about a few weeks. 
and her body was packed in ice, and, and she'd had to have transfusions. She had leukemia, and she had all these things, but the church was praying. And, and I don't know if it was that time or the second time she recovered, and then it came back again. But she tells a part in the testimony where she says, everything was dark. And then she said it was like a light came in the room. And something changed. He came to her. If you're going to be there at that day, he's got to come to you here. And I'm saying, don't just view the service as I'm part of a group. But I'm coming to meet with the king. I'm coming to see him. And if you ask the testimony, what is your beloved? What does he mean to you? Because Malachi, they, they were offering sacrifices that were contemptible. And, and Malachi could have said, you better do this. God doesn't want that. He wants a willing heart. He wants a relationship. Do you think God's more interested in sacrifices and, and all? He wants us. He wants our heart. Why don't you stand together with me? This morning I'm asking the question, what is your beloved? Who have you seen in this message? Is it just a set of tapes, a set of guidelines? Is it just a prophet? Is it, is it, is it just an emotion and a nice atmosphere? Or is he the center of it all? Because if he's not the center, we've missed something. I believe he's desiring more. Why don't you play something softly? Listen, let's sing, He Came to Me. We'll sing that first. I just want you to think, where did He come to you? A sister was telling me about a trial she's going through. And she said she didn't know hardly which way to turn. And she woke up one morning and she saw two swans swimming on her pond. And it's so strange. And she looked up what swans meant, and they were messengers. Now, this may not be for everybody, but it was for her. And she said, they stayed there the whole day, and there was something sacred. And she said, in the midst of this trial, it was like, he came to me. Brother Branham going through his trials. He's in the middle of things. And he's saying he had that vision of that squirrel jumping down him and doing things. And then he went up for a hike and it missed. And instead, he saw a dove, heard a dove cooing. He came to him. I don't know, we can go by week after week after week. We can show up, we can... Just plod along. I'll wait till God does something. But you know, He's actually really calling us more than we realize. Sometimes we need to lay something aside. What is your beloved to me? Oh, He's Wednesday and Sunday. What is your beloved to Oh, He's, he's when I listen to a tape. Once. What is your beloved? Oh, He's when I serve the people of God at church. I sing songs. I play specials. I... I minister, I, I'm a deacon. What is your beloved to you? That's what I'm asking this morning. What is he? Is there others that mean more? Is there others? Is there other things that have taken the place? Is there other distractions? I'm just asking a question. 
I, I'm not saying this to condemn you this morning. I'm saying there's a higher call if we can recognize it. He came to me. Let's sing this this morning. He came to me. Yeah. 